From ABC News, this is Perspective. I'm Derek Dennis. Coming up, another mass shooting in America. This time, the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl victory celebration shot up with spectators caught in the middle, men, women, and children wounded. Nobody should go through this. What started the chaos and why? NATO on notice. Former President Trump says if re-elected, he would not protect NATO allies unless they pay their share in defense funds, leaving them vulnerable for other countries to go on the attack. No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You gotta pay. You gotta pay your bills. We'll have reaction from around the world. And a sweet story from Valentine's Day. A husband making sure his wife knows year after year how much he loves her even after his death. I think that that is one of the most romantic things I've ever heard of in my life. All ahead on Perspective. It was supposed to be a good time, a rally and parade celebrating the Super Bowl winning Kansas City Chiefs. Star player Travis Kelsey holding court. Chiefs Kingdom, let me More than a million fans were there, dressed in the team's signature red. But then, shots rang out. People started running, victims were wounded, a woman killed. Three suspects in custody. Another mass shooting in America. Children make up half of the victims, and children may have been shooters. Two of the suspects detained are under the age of 18. Police Chief Stacy Graves saying it was not an orchestrated attack on the crowd, but instead it was an argument that led to gunfire. Preliminary investigative findings have shown there was no nexus to terrorism or homegrown violent extremism. She says multiple weapons have been recovered. Alex Stone, EBC News. And it's one thing to have been a spectator as the shooting erupted, but one of our own ABC News correspondents, Alex Perez, was there to cover the chief celebration and had to quickly shift gears. We get his perspective and that of ABC News Chief Justice correspondent Pierre Thomas as they detail what happened and how guns in America have made even a Super Bowl celebration unsafe. They talked to ABC's DeMarco Morgan and Eva Pilgrim. Alex, we'll start with you. It was supposed to be a day of fun and celebration, then gunshots. What are you hearing from survivors and victims? Well, DeMarco, it was joy and celebration, and it changed in literally an instant when those uh, gunshots erupted here. What I'm hearing from people on the ground who were here when all this happened, two things. Number one, shock. They were here to have a good time. They were here to mark a moment in sports history for their city and for their team, and suddenly they were all running for their lives. And then number two, the other thing I'm hearing is, Oh no, here we go again, another shooting, yet another shooting here in America. Those are the two things that really seem to be uh, staying with people here, DeMarco. Pierre, the planning for big events these days usually factors in the risk for gun violence, and yet this still happens. So I think a lot of people today are asking the question, can we feel safe going to events where there are big crowds? Well, unfortunately, mass shootings are now a phenomenon, if you will, that this country now sees playing out time and time again. Think about this. You've now seen mass shootings at churches, houses of worship, schools, elementary schools. 
uh, supermarkets, Walmart, everywhere. And I think what this particular case will show is that even in mass events like the celebration after a Super Bowl, law enforcement may have to think about things like having magnetometers uh, to check the crowd uh, as they flow into an event like this. It's a lot of people there up here. Let's go back to Alex if we can. Uh, what do we know about the three people that were detained and how were police able to find them in this massive crowd? Well, DeMarco, you have to remember, this was a massive crowd, upwards of a million people or around a million people. So uh, the city had been preparing for this for a long time. There were a lot of police officers here. They were working with 24 different law enforcement agencies, about 800 officers just around the perimeter of the rally itself. So the moment this happened, officers were able to flood that area immediately. And with help from bystanders, they were able to sort of figure out who the culprits were in this case. Um, besides that, right now, we're still waiting to learn more about who these persons of interest are and why exactly they may have carried this out here in this crowd. Pierre, this is the 48th mass shooting of the year. What do you think it will take to move the needle on this debate? One would have thought that after we saw children killed in an elementary school years ago and that it's happened again, that that would move the needle in terms of the, the conversation about what best to do about this. But I will say this. There's something about the Super Bowl. It is the one unifying event of the year, the communal event, where hundreds million plus people are watching something. And the notion that the people of Kansas City could not come together and celebrate you know, will the NFL get more involved in uh, anti-gun violence? I think this is something because it strikes at who we are and something that's so incredibly a part of the American culture, enjoying ourselves, if you will. The fact that gun violence seeped into that, perhaps that will spark renewed conversations about solutions. ABC's Alex Perez and ABC News Chief Justice Correspondent Pierre Thomas with GMA3 hosts DeMarco Morgan and Eva Pilgrim. One couple took matters into their own hands and took down one of the suspected shooters and held him till police arrived. Trey and Casey Filter spoke to ABC's Michael Strahan on Good Morning America. You actually tackled one of the alleged gunmen. So please, can you talk us through that? Well, it was um, quite a, I mean, there was a lot of commotion. Um, I could definitely tell that, you know, someone was being chased. Uh, couldn't see much. Um, I heard that uh, get him. I saw a flash next to me, and um, I remember I jumped and remember thinking, I hope this is the food they were talking about. So uh, we were pretty elated once we knew we had him. Um, and they started yelling that there's a gun, there's a gun. Um, so we were pretty steadfast in holding him down there and, you know, just trying to take care of our butts there. And so your, your instincts basically kicked in. And, and Casey, you secured the gun. What was your first thought when you saw the gun on the ground? Just to get it away from what was happening. Um, and that was just my first thought. I didn't really think about much else. <laughs> it was heavy. At first, I actually thought it was, it looked like a toy. But then once I picked it up, I quickly realized it definitely was not. Trey and Casey Filter speaking to ABC's Michael Strahan. In a statement on the shooting, President Biden said that the celebration turned to tragedy and called on Congress to make changes, including an assault weapons ban, a limit on high-capacity magazines, and tougher background checks. 
Coming up, a mixed bag on the economy. Our ABC News business correspondent Alexis Christophorus weighs in on what's really going on, ahead on Perspective. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to Perspective from ABC News. I'm Derek Dennis. It's been a threat from former President Trump in and out of office, pulling out of NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which calls for allies to stick together and defend each other if they're under attack. Now, as a presidential candidate again, Trump is telling NATO countries to pay more for their defense, suggesting the U.S. is picking up too much of the international tab. No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You got to pay. Trump at a rally in South Carolina. NATO allies, along with President Biden, were quick to slam the comments, but they raise important questions about fairness on the world stage. ABC's Tom Rivers has more from the Foreign Desk in London. Former President Trump throwing the cat amongst the pigeons with this. One of the presidents of a big country stood up and said, Well, sir, uh, if we don't pay and we're attacked by Russia, will you protect us? I said, You didn't pay? You're delinquent? He said, Yes, let's say that happened. No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You got to pay. You got to pay your bills. And that predictably got the feathers flying. Taking umbrage, President Biden. Imagine a former president of the United States saying that. The whole world heard it. The worst thing is he means it. No other president in our history has ever bowed down to a Russian dictator. Well, let me say this as clearly as I can. I never will. For God's sake, it's dumb, it's shameful, it's dangerous, it's un-American. Europe quickly took notice. Reacting initially in a written statement, NATO chief Jens Stoltenberg said, any suggestion that allies will not defend each other undermines all of their security, including that of the U.S. And he believes that puts American and European soldiers at increased risk. Later in the week, he said this of the Trump remarks. My message is exactly what I said, that we should not undermine the credibility of NATO's uh, deterrence. Uh, and that's uh, both about the capabilities uh, we are investing in, but also how we communicate. Meanwhile, in Berlin, alle für ein, einer für alle. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz characterized mere talk of some countries not paying their fair share, irresponsible and dangerous. Without directly naming Trump, he said NATO's promise of protection is unrestricted. Trump's remarks also caused concern in Poland. Prime Minister Donald Tusk voicing anxieties about whether the U.S. would show full solidarity with other NATO countries as the Ukraine conflict grinds on, possibly for a long time to come. But not all opinion has been on the same exact wavelength over here. The European Union's top diplomat, Joseph Burrell, mindful that this will be a highly charged election campaign in the U.S., was more circumspect about the rhetorical barbs which will be launched in the coming months. Let me be sarcastic. 
let me be sarcastic. During this campaign, we will see and listen to many things. Let's be serious. NATO cannot be a, a la carte military alliance. Cannot be a military alliance that works depending on the humor of the president of the U.S. on those days. It's not yes, now yes, tomorrow no, it depends who are you. Morrell's been around the political block a long time, so in his view... I'm not going to spend my time comment any silly idea that comes during this electoral campaign in the U.S. Another voice, Polish President Duda. He diplomatically tweeted that the Polish-U.S. alliance must be strong regardless of who's currently in power in Poland and the U.S. The bottom line, we more than likely haven't heard the last of the issue over some alliance members not paying enough for collective defense. A decade ago, NATO allies pledged to move towards spending 2% of GDP on defense by 2024. Many member states are still not there, and that's the rub. Under NATO's Mutual Defense Clause, Article 5 of its founding treaty, all allies commit to helping any member who comes under attack. It's all for one and one for all. That's all fine, of course, until as many things in life, money gets involved. For Perspective, Tom Rivers, ABC News, London. On the economy, what a roller coaster it's been, from high inflation to low unemployment, cheaper gas prices to high housing costs. But there's a bright spot in the consumer price index showing inflation is slowing. ABC News business correspondent Alexis Christophorus has more on the economic ups and downs. It's definitely a mixed bag uh, when we look at the economy and try to figure out where we're headed in 2024. I mean, on the one hand, things seem really strong. We have a solid job market, the unemployment rate continuing to remain below 4% for about two years now. Um, The economy grew at a stronger than expected rate uh, at the end of last year. But then you mix that with, you know, inflation news, inflation continuing to um, sort of uh, have these Fits and starts, I guess you can say, uh, now uh, up to 3.1% year over year. Um, And we got retail sales numbers out showing that uh, consumers are starting to pull back a little bit after spending really strongly at the end of last year. So let's dig in on on the inflation numbers. You're you're saying it's it's up or it seemed to be trending lower, right? Right. Well, the overall trend, and this is where it gets confusing, I think, for, for folks saying, you know, why aren't I feeling a difference in consumer prices? They keep saying it's coming down. The overall trend is inflation is moving lower. Prices are rising, but just at a slower pace than they had been. Remember, we had inflation above 9% in June of 2022. We now have inflation at 3.1%. So we've made real progress, but there's that magic 2% number. That's the target the Federal Reserve has. That's where it wants inflation to be, to feel comfortable. And we're still a ways away from that. And part of the reason why is that inflation has become so sticky in different parts of the economy, meaning it's hanging around and being extra stubborn when it comes to some of the basics like food prices, 
up more than two and a half percent over the past year. Rent continuing to be a big uh, struggle for a lot of Americans, up six percent year over year. And we're seeing inflation now sort of dig in its heels when it comes to services. So hotels, restaurants, airfares, travel, that's where we're seeing inflation sort of hang around. And even the Federal Reserve has admitted it's hard to get inflation down when you're talking about the services industry. But the Fed has really tried to use interest rates as a way to tamp down on inflation. And I know we're waiting to see what the Fed will do next in terms of interest rates, right? Exactly. And the Fed has uh, made real progress in its fight against inflation. 11 interest rate hikes over the past couple of years to bring inflation lower. And it has come down. But now the Fed is in that tricky spot. They haven't moved on interest rates for the past three sessions, uh, three meetings. But now we're waiting for the Fed to start cutting interest rates. And they don't want to start cutting too soon because if they do, it will sort of jumpstart, reignite the economy. It'll make the economy stronger because it will give people a reason to go out and borrow money, maybe buy a home, buy a car. And if it does that, that then could spark inflation to rise again. It certainly sounds tricky. And you mentioned unemployment at record lows, but yet we're still seeing layoffs in many sectors, big sectors, UPS, PayPal, Amazon, CBS just recently. What's behind that? These layoffs, as alarming as they seem, you know, a lot of companies start to reassess the books, look at the payroll at the beginning of every year. So that's sort of part of what we're seeing right now. It's just a seasonal thing. But also, these layoffs are very specific to these areas. They're not broader across the economy, which is why you're not really seeing them these play out in the uh, monthly unemployment numbers. If the layoffs start to become more widespread, that could be a larger problem for the economy. And as you talk about home prices, Home prices are high because interest rates are high. Exactly. But at the same time, you've got gas prices lower. I mean, talk about a mixed bag there. (laughs) Exactly. It depends on what you're buying and uh, what you're looking to do, right? Because gas prices have actually been a friend to uh, uh, consumers as of late. We've seen gas prices actually come down at the pump. So there's a little bit of relief there. But if you're looking for a home, you know it's a struggle. I've been talking to a number of potential home buyers uh, for a story that I'm working on. And they said, look, inventory starting to loosen up. That was the big story in 2022 and 2023. Where were the homes for sale? And more homes, more new listings came on the market in January, slightly more, about 2.8%. You would think that would perhaps lower prices. That's not what we're seeing. Demand remains very high. And mortgage rates, while they are trending lower, are still relatively high. I mean, they're about double where they were just a couple of years ago. And in the middle of all this, consumer confidence (laughs) seems to be high. People are shopping, they're spending money, yet we've got such a a mix in, in terms of economic news. The consumer has undoubtedly been the fuel behind this rise in economic growth and in inflation because spending has been very strong. We did see, though, that spending come down in January. Not a big surprise. We had strong holiday spending. But at least to start the year, consumers didn't feel the need to go out and spend big. And a couple of red flags when it comes to consumers, they're now carrying a record amount of debt monthly on their credit cards, over $6,300. And also, they're making more late payments. So delinquency rates are up for both credit cards and uh, auto loans. They're not at uh, critical stages yet, but that's certainly something that the Federal Reserve is going to be uh, keeping an eye on. ABC's Alexis Christophorus, thanks. Thanks so much, Derek. Good to be with you. 
Coming up, hip-hop fans know all about Wu-Tang Clan. The iconic group reaching a musical milestone on Perspective after this. From ABC News, this is Perspective. I'm Derek Dennis. Coming up, for years, one ABC show has asked the question, what would you do? But first... The 50th anniversary of hip-hop can't be celebrated without mentioning Wu-Tang Clan. The group was there at the very beginning, helping to shape the genre into what it is today, a force in the music industry, sampled and copied, loved by millions, and looming large in pop culture. ABC's Byron Pitts sits down with the original members of Wu-Tang Clan to talk about their legacy three decades later. Brooklyn, New York. Here near its birthplace, hip-hop and history on stage. And in this game, I love Wu -Tang. the Wu-Tang Clan is royalty. They're the best hip-hop group ever. They changed the culture. Founding fathers of a genre half a century old, it shook the world and shaped a generation. RZA, Raekwon, Cappadonna, Master Killa, DJ Mathematics, and YDB. Six of the nine original members, celebrating 30 years since their own seminal album, enter the Wu-Tang with iconic hits like Protect Your Neck, Yo, you best protect your neck. Triumph, this is a gathering of the masses that come to pay respects to the Wu-Tang Clan, and Cream, cash rules everything around me, Cream, get the money, dollar dollar bill, yo. It was an album that would lay a blueprint for the hardcore rap of the 90s, cement New York City as the capital and launch their careers. They built this amazing, like, legacy that a lot of artists, especially from that generation, have. Here's setting up shop at Brooklyn's Barclays Center to bring their worldwide New York State of Mind tour home. You guys have been in the game for a long time. How do you explain that? We true to the game, but we true to each other. We true to the foundation. We love hip-hop. We appreciate with hip-hop culture has blessed us with as a unit. And when, we always say when that Wu-Tang W go up, you know, we, we come to the call. Their music born in the streets, their iconic name, however, a nod to a popular movie of their childhood. Tell me about the record. Where does the name come from? A kung fu movie called Shaolin versus Wu-Tang. And Wu-Tang was the sword technique. It was considered the best sword technique. So being that we felt we had the best lyrics in the game, we had to have something that represents the best sword style. The group has been churning out hits since 1992. Global stars, once seen as too hardcore for some, now hometown heroes in their beloved Staten Island. The borough even named a district after them. It means everything, especially if you from Staten Island. They put us on the map. We had to be able to come in and back up everything that we're talking about and, and give them the real reality of what we represent from Staten Island. They released seven studio albums as a group. The hip-hop collective unique in their longevity, but also for their breakout solo careers. We made a deal with Loud Records that allowed us to be Wu-Tang Clan collectively, but also allowed us to go and have individual deals with other um, players in the industry. What it ended up doing was it also energized the industry. That energy impacting hip-hop worldwide. Now hip-hop has been infused into it. Latin America, even when you look at 
Bad Bunny is still hip-hop inspired mm -hmm. artists, you know, and it's one of America's best exports. An export forever drawn to home. At one point, you know, yeah, we, you know, we, we ran the streets of Brooklyn, <laughs> all right, okay? So, which, is, which is my hometown, you know what I mean? I'm not from Staten Island, <laughs> I'm from Brooklyn. Make that clear, right? Clearly. It's like a homecoming. A reunion that now attracts multiple generations. We did a show where it was the three generations was in the audience. People who have grown up in it, their children have grown up in it, and now there's another generation growing up in it. And speaking of generations. Any grandfathers in the group at this point? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Grandpa out there on Grandpa's the stage. On stage. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? We've been together for so long from such a young age through puberty and teenage and even now all the way to growing. With age has come wisdom, shifting priorities. You know, it was all about the Benjamins. Now it's more, less stability, family values and structure. And when you're young, success is that million dollar check. As a man, success is you know, raising your children right, keep your yeah. family tight. Older, wiser, and make no mistake, still willing and able to bring it. From the Big Apple where it was born to Las Vegas of all places, a move that will make history as the Wu-Tang Clan becomes the first hip-hop group ever to take residency in Sin City. But no matter the venue, the grind is the same. Are you nervous at this stage of the game? We got some this for a minute. A little bit. It, it, you <laughs> Still. know, you, you get those little butterflies. I mean, I do, but I don't know how everybody else feels. But, you know, it happens for about 13 seconds. And then, <laughs> and then I'm off to the races yeah. again. And there's no sign the Wu-Tang Clan is slowing down. Wu-Tang Clan. Clan means family. And family never breaks. ABC's Byron Pitts with members of Wu-Tang Clan. As we continue celebrating Black History Month, a disturbing poll from Quinnipiac University. It shows two-thirds of Americans believe they weren't given a full or accurate picture of black history. New York University assistant journalism professor Chenjirai Kumanyika details some lesser-known black history moments with ABC's Diane Macedo. You say this isn't just omission, but that there's a history of telling a false mythological history of our country. Can you explain what you mean by that? Well, you know, I think that um, many people over the years have understood that a lot of the, you know, leaders, politicians, people who had particular kinds of political stakes have understood that when people learn real history, it affects how they function in the world. So if you understand the history of human rights violations and war crimes, you you will accurately conclude that the U.S. is currently committing war crimes just as the ICJ did. If you learn about the history of voting rights suppression, you will learn that it's important to protect voting rights. So people realize that history factors in to how people show up and how they and how they struggle. And so there's a history of banning that. You could go back to Uncle Tom's Cabin. This was a powerful abolitionist book that sort of, you know, laid out what slavery was really all about. And people tried to ban it. Why would you want to ban an accurate history and account of what of what was actually going on? Now, there's been a wave of laws implemented in recent years that restrict certain lessons on race across the country. What do you make of the debate surrounding that? And can you quickly also touch on a few stories that 
aren't being taught in the classroom that you think people need to know? Well, I, I think that, you know, if we're going to solve the problems that confront us right now, and we have many difficult problems, we have to have an accurate account of how we got to this moment. And I also know that people want to feel inspired, right? They want to, by the most, you know, compelling moments, the moments where people were courageous, the moments where people didn't do what was convenient. I um, often talk about the story of someone like Robert Smalls, but I think even if you think about the civil rights movement, we talk about Martin Luther King, but there was a powerful role that black women played in that Montgomery bus boycott and in the civil rights movement in general. And these are histories that brought people together across racial lines to dismantle the power that was oppressing people, right? It's it's just real history. It's real factual history. I'm fine with calling it black history, but if you don't know that black history, then you don't know the real history. And thankfully, a lot of Americans are really excited to get it. ABC's Diane Macedo with NYU assistant journalism professor Chenjirai Kumanyika. Coming up, what would you do? It's a question that's been asked for years on the hit ABC show by the same name. Ahead, a sneak peek from an all-new season of What Would You Do? and some thoughts from the show's longtime host. On Perspective, after this. You're listening to Perspective from ABC News. I'm Derek Dennis. The stars aligned at a hotel in Beverly Hills, California for a day. The annual Oscars luncheon is probably the most star-studded and powerful place in show business. Almost every Academy Award nominee for 2024 was there. And so was ABC News Entertainment correspondent Jason Nathanson. Derek, on a sunny, chilly Monday in February, the luxurious poolside of the Beverly Hilton Hotel in Beverly Hills was the place to be. I've just been trying to get a job in this lunch today. Oscar nominee Carrie Mulligan is up for Best Actress for her role in Maestro, and she was hanging out with her Maestro director and fellow Best Actor nominee Bradley Cooper. Cool any job, takers? I'd like to work in any, the take, UK. any takers? I don't know. I think I might be pitching myself a bit too hard. I, I, I mean, I kind of was hinting that earlier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Just let it happen. I know. <laughs> it must be hard to just let it happen when you're in a room with some of the best writers and directors in the business: Greta Gerwig, Martin Scorsese, Celine Song, Yorgos Lanthimos, and more, all gathered in the ballroom of the Beverly Hilton the same place where they hold the Golden Globes every year. The Oscar nominees' lunch is a place to sit in celebration with those deemed the best of the best in film for the year. They all assemble to take the annual class picture, and the president of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences gives a speech telling you if you win, please don't read a list of thank yous from a piece of paper crumpled in your pocket. That's boring TV. I mean, I've had some ideas over the last 35 years of what I might say if I ever got to stand on the stage. America Ferreira is nominated for Best Supporting Actress for her role in Barbie. I asked her if she has a plan for her speech should she win. I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to breathe if I didn't have some kind of preparation because I nothing would make me more stressed the whole night than feeling like, what would I do if, if I was in that position? And then like, what a missed opportunity if you're like up there just bumbling and you forget to thank your husband you know it's like i don't want to be that person when it comes to who's going with you to the oscars is that a foregone conclusion are people lobbying <laughs> bribing i mean my plus one is my husband so that's settled which is nice before and after the lunch the nominees float from poolside suite to poolside suite chatting with various news outlets sterling k brown nominated for his role in american fiction tells me his plus one was an easy pick as well it's it's gonna be the wife now, there have been people who have asked. There's lots of friends from childhood who think that they should, should get to go. And, and they have a strong argument. 
but I don't have to sleep with them. But 15-time nominee Diane Warren, up for writing the Oscar-nominated best song, The Fire Inside, from the movie Flamin' Hot. She's been to so many Oscars and brought so many people that at this point, she's not really sure who's coming with her. I might take my cat. Just kidding. That would be awesome. She'd love to come. Would she? Yeah. Is she an outdoor, like, take She's an indoor you? cat, though, so I don't, I'd have to put her on, on a... Backpack? Do you have a... I don't have a, a cat back. A cat pack back. They, ha they make them, though. If she does take her cat, hopefully it's okay being around dogs because I got the scoop that Messi, the border collie who plays Snoop in Anatomy of a Fall, will be at the Oscars too. Does the dog get to go? Yeah, of course, the dog, first of all, yes. <laughs> Anatomy of a Fall director Justine Trier co-wrote and directed a piercing, haunting, beautifully crafted film, which scored her writing and directing nominations. The film itself up for Best Picture, and she was upstaged at the lunch by the dog. <laughs> Yes, Messi made the press rounds as well, barking on cue, wearing a bow tie, and unlike most of the nominees, you could go right up to him and pet his head. But he's not up for an Oscar. Sadly, there's no category for best dog. If Justine Trier wins, though, she tells me she knows where to put her little gold man. He's in the bathroom because people can just, you know, when they are going to the restroom, they could, they could just... Uh, take it and look uh, themselves in the mirror and, you know. Then you have to clean it all uh, a oh, lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you can find out if she wins, if the dog shows up, and if Diane Warren takes her cat when the Oscars air live on ABC March 11th. Reporting for Perspective, Jason Athenson, ABC News, Beverly Hills. Here at ABC News, our network is bringing back the popular television show, What Would You Do? The premise? everyday situations set up with hidden cameras to see what people do, how they react, when they think no one is watching. One new episode involves a nursing mother feeding her newborn at a table in a restaurant when a man at another table makes a scene and other restaurant patrons try to defend the mom. Take a listen. Ma'am, you're breastfeeding and I'm about to eat my breakfast. Please. There's plenty of stalls please, in the bathroom. Please, you're just making this uncomfortable and I'm trying my absolute best. I don't feel comfortable. You're making everybody uncomfortable. Go sit there and look the other way. I'm just uncomfortable with the doll is all. You can be uncomfortable, but you don't have to disturb all the rest by commenting to her. Just have her hurry it up. ABC's John Quinones is the longtime host of the show. So, John, this series is coming back. I guess it was off for a while, right? Yeah, yeah, because of COVID, we couldn't see people's reactions, right, uh, when they're wearing masks. So we were off for, uh, for four years. And a lot has happened because, of course, COVID had a major impact in people's behavior and their beliefs. So it's really great to be once again out there in the field monitoring human behavior. We wanted to know how do you unlock the power and the light that exists in each and every one of us so that we're all better equipped to say, you know, that's wrong or how can I help? And we're back at it. I think what's interesting, too, is how surrounding people step in, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just the main characters in the forefront. It's people in the background who hear what's going on, see what's going on, and kind of step up. Yeah, but they wait until someone sounds the alarm. Human beings want to get involved. We want to do the right thing. But sometimes it's risky, right? How many times have you heard that the Good Samaritan was hurt while he was coming to the rescue? But in the end, they, they wind up doing jumping in, and that warms your heart. You seem optimistic mm -hmm. about where society is based on this series, right? Yeah, because in every one of our scenarios, someone does a beautiful thing. And even though we have work to do, 
in this country with regard to race relations and sexuality and, and religion. The show reminds you that when people are face-to-face with it, for example, we did one involving Latinos, men work, applying for work at a coffee shop in Dallas. They're actors. They go up there and he says, can I have an application for the job? And they speak with an accent. There's an instigator nearby, one of our other actors, saying, are you going to hire these guys? They're probably illegal. How dare you do that? We're building a wall to keep these people out of here. He says awful things. Some people agreed with him, but for the most part, Mm -hmm. people stepped up. And even in conservative Texas, where the immigration issue is a hotly debated issue, People stepped up and defended those men because the fact is you don't know who's here legally or not. I I just think there are people out there who feel emboldened and they want to, if they don't like something, they'll let you know. And it's, it's heartbreaking at times when we're watching this, we're sitting back there, sometimes we're in tears because it's so, so touching. But then again, in every one of our scenarios, someone walks in and does the right thing. And often it's the person you would least expect. As John mentioned, the show What Would You Do has returned to ABC for a historic 16th season. It airs Sunday nights on your ABC station. Before we go, Valentine's Day has come and gone, but one Valentine's love story is built to last. A California couple, John and Diana Maver, were high school sweethearts, married for 47 years until John's death in 2017. But their daughter, Marilee, says her dad, John, was so in love with her mom, he planned ahead, somehow arranging for his widowed wife to receive flowers every Valentine's Day, year after year, for as long as she lives. It's set up so that every year a bouquet of flowers shows up on her doorstep. And it's not just flowers, roses, and white lilies, but a printed note from John. When these flowers arrive, you should see the smile that comes on her face. It's just this incredible joy washes over her as she just knows. She knows he's there with her. The story of John and Diana Maver going viral with a lesson for us all that true love can be everlasting. From ABC News, this has been Perspective. Thanks for listening. This show is produced by Aaron Ferrer, Marwa Muwaki, and Joy Piazza. If you want to listen to any of our past shows, subscribe to the Perspective podcast. Give us a review. If you've got the time, tell us what you'd like to hear in the future and what you think. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also find Perspective and other ABC News shows at abcaudio.com slash podcast. For ABC News, I'm Derek Dennis.